Uh, 11 more days, those of you that are counting. Probably some of the kids got it down to hours. And some of the big kids do too, waiting for Christmas. Isn't that, a, isn't that the hardest thing in the world to do, just waiting for Christmas? Kids have a hard time. And uh, most of us do too. If you have the Christmas spirit and you kind of like this time of year and you think of all Christmas's past and traditions and all that good stuff. But little ones seem to have a hard time waiting for Christmas because we start this whole process so many months in advance that by the time they're really thinking about Christmas, it's, you know, it's almost Labor Day. And, uh, you know, they're, they're thinking all this time and it's hard to wait. So what you, some of you have done probably already, and I uh, hope you've already written yours and sent it, but some of them actually write letters to Santa. And if you were here a couple weeks ago, you, you, you now, if you were, you were very privileged because you now know the history of Santa Claus. And if you don't know that, you need to get that message uh, online uh, at our website, hear it, download it, do whatever, and you'll know the history of where we got this whole thinking about Santa Claus. Anyway, here, was one of the, here are a couple of the letters that uh, went to Santa Claus. The first one says, Dear Santa Claus, when you come to my house, there will be cookies for you, but if you're really hungry, you can use our phone and order a pizza to go. <laughs> now, that's thinking ahead, right? Another one said, Dear Santa, dear Santa I want a puppy. I want a playhouse. Thank you. Uh, I've been good most of the time. Sometimes I'm wild. Mm. Truth, right? Dear Santa, this is from a four-year-old. I'll take anything because I haven't been that good. <laughs> Dear Santa, I, this is one I love. I'm not, I'm not going to ask for a lot. Here's my list. Etch-a-Sketch animator, two packs of number two pencils, Crayola fat markers, and the big gift, my own colored TV. Well... Maybe you could drop the pencils. I don't want to be really selfish. <laughs> so at Christmas, that, that just tells us that Christmas is often associated with waiting. Now, now I just want to just drop something on you. Christmas and, and, and how, how that all generated, how that all started, let me, let me just tell you, it's always been about waiting. And that's where I want to go this morning, the waiting aspect. See, I, I, I can remember, and I don't know how many of you can remember childhood Christmases. How many of you remember some childhood Christmases that were, were good experiences, all right? How you, you were growing up and there was something that you wanted. You either made a list or you were asked what you wanted and you told your parents or you were just hoping to get this. I remember one year I wanted a drum kit. I was just little, and I got a drum kit. It was one of those little drums. I think that it had paper skins. I mean, it weren't, they weren't real drums, but uh, I beat the life out of that in about a week. And then um, another time I wanted one of those Viewmasters. How many of you know what a Viewmaster is? About six people here probably. And, uh, and, and there was a Viewmaster projector. There was a thing you could, I don't even know how it worked now, but all I know is it would project what you were looking at on the wall, and I thought that was the coolest thing. And see, I've always been technologically advanced, way ahead of, yeah. Um, and I think one of the reasons is one year I asked for, wanted, waited for, and got a chemistry set. 
Well, no, they, they called the fire department before they gave it to me, but I mean, no, I had that for several, right up until I went to high school. We're still doing stuff with that. And, um, and, then, and then you remember wanting that, whether a bicycle, a, a, a favorite toy, a doll, whatever it was. And then you jumped out of bed, and you went to the tree, and you just couldn't wait to check things out. See, There was that waiting anticipation, that, that, that whole, th- it was all associated with waiting. So I want to ask you a question that's personal. Right where you are in your life today, this very day, I want to ask you this question. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for this Christmas? I mean, are you longing for anything in your life? Maybe you're longing for something in your life that you don't really know how to get it or how to ask for it because you're not even sure what it is you want, but you know something's got to come into your life. Something's got to change. Something's got to be not like it is now. And what are you expecting to receive? And how are you expecting to receive it? And are you willing to accept it? And are you looking forward to anything special this Christmas? That's a lot of questions around one question all built into one. But I gave you all that because I want to get the thoughts started. I want the process to get going. So if you have your Bible this morning, and uh, if, if you do, you can follow along, hopefully. And if you don't, we'll have very various verses on, this, on the screen to help you. And I'm going to Luke 2, and you say, well, I thought next week was the Christmas message. Well, it will be, but uh, so is today, because there's a whole lot more to Luke 2 that never gets talked about in most churches at Christmas time. Never. Matter of fact, I've never heard a message with the, with the emphasis that I'm going to try to, uh, to, to copy here this morning. In Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 22, I'm going to read just uh, three verses, 22, 23, 24, but keep your Bible open to that area. We'll be in Luke 1 and 2. It says words like this, When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, took Jesus, the little child, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. And so the sacrifice was a pair of doves or two young pigeons. I'm just going to stop there. So in the Gospel of Luke, we come across two characters that I want to introduce to you that you may never even heard of them. Quite possible. They actually make an appearance in what I call the final act of the Christmas drama. One is a man, his name is Simeon. The other is a woman, her name is Anna. They don't appear in any of the nativity scenes. You don't see their caricatures on any of your Christmas cards. But they are significant, very significant players in the first Christmas pageant, shall we call it. Both of these individuals were waiting for something. That is so significant. Actually, they were waiting for someone, not for something. Luke, actually, in the writing here, uses a Greek word of anticipation that identifies them as waiting with expectation for the coming of the Messiah. We're going to be singing a song here in a little bit 
we get into the, our uh, expanded worship set, and it's a phenomenal song, the song uh, We Believe. But anyway, they were waiting for the coming of the Messiah or their Savior. It, it, it literally means this. The, the Greek word that Luke uses literally means this. It means they were alert to his appearance and ready to welcome him. Uh, matter of fact, in Luke 2.25, in reference to Simeon, where we read he was waiting, and in Luke 2.38, describing the woman named Anna who was looking forward to, Luke is using the same terminology there. So we see first Simeon, and Simeon is waiting, as I've already said. What is Simeon waiting for? He's, he's waiting for comfort. Now I want to take my reading down to verse 25 of Luke 2 and read down through uh, part of 28, if you're following. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple court. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Now, the Holy Spirit prompted... I want, I want you to get this picture. The Holy Spirit prompted Simeon to go to the temple courts at just the right time, on just the right day, when Joseph and Mary were bringing their infant to the temple to fulfill the order of the law. When Simeon looked at the baby Jesus, I'm guessing about six weeks old now, he knew that God's promise had been kept. Here was Emmanuel, which we said earlier means God with us, to make everything right, to provide significance by his presence, and to eliminate rejection and fear and loneliness. That verse 28, I stopped in the middle of it on purpose, of Luke 2, says that Simeon reached down and he took Jesus out of Mary's arms and he began to praise God. Let me pause here and make a comment. Those of you parents that are in the room, you have small children. How would you feel if some old man came up to you, took your infant in his arms, and started singing out loud? I'm sure this was a bit unsettling, even for Joseph and Mary. They didn't really know what was going on. But Simeon, as they looked at him, didn't look all that dangerous. And as he broke out into praise for God, he acknowledged that God had not only fulfilled the individual promise to him, but also the promises of the prophets of old to send the anointed one to comfort both the Jews and the Gentiles. Let me tell you why I'm calling this message. It's his party, because it's all about him. Now, that's Simeon. Now, next we're going to meet Anna, who is also waiting. Simeon's waiting for comfort. What's Anna waiting for? Anna is waiting for forgiveness. After her husband had died, we know a little bit about Anna. She dedicated herself to fasting and praying in the temple. Be careful when you say, well, I'm going to dedicate or rededicate my life, and I really want to serve the Lord, and I really want to step it up. Be careful. Anna went, like some of us would say, to the max. In the Bible, it says, in fact, that she never left the temple. 
but she worshiped day and night. I got thinking about that. If they ever had a Bible reading marathon, she could have filled all the slots. Or if they ever had, you know, a prayer wheel, a 24-hour prayer wheel, she could have filled all the slots because the fact is she was always at the temple. She was always at church. She was looking forward to the same person that Simeon was, but with a totally different orientation. Instead of looking for comfort, Anna was looking for forgiveness. Let's take a look at verse 38 of Luke 2. Jump your eye down there, 10 verses. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God, much like Simeon did, and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And I'll explain that in just a bit. The word redemption is related to the idea of captivity. The Old Testament Passover, we've done some teaching here on Passover, and hopefully some of you remember that, and maybe some of you are aware anyway, but the release of Israel from Egyptian slavery stood in Anna's day as the ultimate uh, uh, redemption and and the symbol of God's power to release captives and to set them free, okay? Ultimately, Passover pointed ahead to that day when God would provide that freedom and that release and that relief and get and, and deliverance from slavery of sin and all that goes with that. For all mankind, including me, including you. When Anna saw Jesus, she couldn't help herself. She gave thanks to God. And the Bible says she spoke of him to everyone who was waiting for redemption. Here at last was the one who would save his people from their sins, including me, including you. (laughs) Now let me suggest, friends, Jesus provides what we need. Why? Because he knows what we need. He provides all that we need. When Jesus came, he provided the very things that Simeon and Anna were waiting for, God's comfort and God's forgiveness. So let me ask you a question. What are you, I asked this before, waiting for this Christmas? Whatever it is, hear me very carefully, Jesus can give it to you. Whatever it is. Look no further. I, 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 I just wonder, I wonder if any of us here this morning can really identify with Simeon. He's, he was looking for comfort. And some of you might be here today and you're really hurting in one way or another. 2014 hasn't been good to you. <laughs> Things have been rough, been tough, been hard, been... and you know something's got to change. And you're hurting. And maybe you're sitting here today, and even in the midst of some people and a lot of good friends here, maybe you still feel lonely. You feel empty. Maybe you feel afraid. That's a real human emotion. Somebody's sitting here right now, I guarantee somebody's sitting here right now, and you say, the only way I can explain the way I feel, Bob, is I'm maxed out. A max to the max limit. I can't go, 
another mile. So what you need is some consoling. What you need, like Simeon, is some comfort. Do you need a fresh sense of God's presence? If so, you can find what you're looking for in Jesus. Why? Because he came to console us right where we are. He came to console us in our times of need. And not only does he provide what we need, he provides all that we need. And the reason he provides all that we need is he knows what we need before we even realize we have a need. He knows the provision for that need even before we realize that we need something for that need. You say, I don't really identify with Simeon. I'm sorry that some people do and they need consoling and they need comfort and they need help there. But I, I more identify with Anna, and a lot of people do. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're plagued with something that's going on in your life. You have guilt this Christmas. You're not looking forward to moving into the happy time of year because inside you're not really happy. Maybe it's something you've done or maybe it's the way you've been living or maybe it's something you didn't do and should have. I don't know. And maybe you just feel like you're trapped in a pattern of sin and you can't break out of it. You don't know how. You would like to, but you're not sure it's safe and You have so many questions, it just boggles the mind. See, if you need forgiveness, hear me now. Jesus can give that to you today, too. And he's ready and willing to do so. I can think of no better time than the Christmas season to do just that. To be relieved of sin. To be relieved of the penalty of sin. And to be relieved of the very power of sin. Remember now, this is not about us. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's all about him. And that's why we say, it's his party. It's his party. Now, in order to move to a place where those needs of comfort or forgiveness are going to be met, there are action steps that need to be taken. When you look at this passage and a few related pas- uh, verses that I'm going to share with you, you'll see that there's a progression to this. And if, if, if we've already kind of backed into your yard and you're kind of thinking along the same lines as, as I'm speaking this morning, then stay with me because there are three action steps to help you experience God's comfort and forgiveness this very Christmas. Maybe this very day. Better still. Action step number one is become a marveler. When Joseph and Mary tried to process everything that was happening, uh, verse 33 of Luke 2 says, the child's father and mother, what? What? The child's father and mother, what? Marveled at what was said about him. They what? They Marvel. Strong word. According to the dictionary, to become a marveler is to be filled with wonder, with astonishment, with surprise. Just, just, just to marvel at something is to be almost overwhelmed. Now, I want to ask, are you a marveler this Christmas? 
Or are you too caught up in the busyness of the season and the stress of the holiday? Have you been running around because of the, the, the Christmas stuff? Or are you taking time to make Christmas holy? I mean, a holy day with holy thoughts in your mind. Has Christmas become so predictable that now it's almost too familiar? Have you heard the Christmas story so much that you could rattle it off yourself without even looking, without even thinking? And it doesn't astonish you anymore. And it doesn't, it's not a marvel to you anymore. Actually, this can be a dangerous time of year. Our annual celebration of Christmas can actually immunize us to reality. Because we hear just enough of the story, we sing just enough of the carols, we read just enough the few little verses in Luke 2 and forget all these other ones. Each year we do the same thing, and we do it over and over and over and over. Each year... And it can actually inoculate us against the real thing so that we never really and truly catch what I call the Christmas fever. We just get caught up in the commercial side or the celebratory side, or if you will, and yes, it's a good family time lots of times, the family side, but there's more to it than that because it's not about us. It's all about him. Now, here's an idea that may help you recapture that marvel of Christmas. And I don't want to, this is not a downer type message. I don't want it to be. But pick one of the Christmas, this is something about you've never been challenged to do. And I'm going to challenge you to do it. I'm going to challenge you to pick one of the Christmas characters and put yourself in their sandals. <laughs> and imagine what it must have been like to actually witness that, we call it the first Christmas story, or the, 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 the happenings surrounding the birth of Christ, firsthand. So just in your mind, or, or sometime today before this slips away, make a note or whatever, pick one. It could be Mary, it could be Joseph, it could be one of the shepherds, it could be Simeon, now you know him, it could be Anna, or even later and much later on, they're not really part of the Christmas narrative, what we call the wise men. So action number one is become a marveler. And let's get back to that point where we marvel, we're astonished, we're surprised, we're thrilled, we're blown away by the scene and the image and the meaning of that wonderful birth. And then action step number two is become a mover. Let's take a look back to verse 27, and it says, Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. That's Simeon. Now drop down to verse 38. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God. No doubt about it, both Simeon and Anna were movers. When the Holy Spirit prompted them to move, they didn't sit still. When God spoke to them, they didn't argue. When God said do this or do that or go in a certain direction, there, there, were, there was no question. Now, I wonder what would have happened if they had not responded. I wonder what kind of story we'd be telling today or we'd be telling next week if they had not responded. I wonder what that would have been like. Actually, every one of the Christmas char uh, characters and every, every person connected with this that the Bible has recorded 
responded to the leading of the Spirit with one exception, and of course that exception was King Herod. You see, Mary was ready to move when she said to the angel back in chapter 1, Luke 1, verse 38, I think I have that for you, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. She was a mover. Luke 138, that's a great verse to have in your, in your notes today. Joseph demonstrated that he was a mover when he woke up from his dream, Matthew 124. And it says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had... Co- this is so interesting, isn't it? The angel sent a word to Mary, and she said, so be it for me to obey the Lord and to do your bidding." And the angel came to Joseph and told him the whole scenario. You've got to believe they were both a bit baffled here. And when Joseph woke up from his dream, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded. I love that. He did what the angel of the Lord commanded. No questions. No, do you mean me? Do you know who you're talking to? Do you realize I'm not even married? Do you know how this is going to look? I can't. He commanded and he instructed, and he told Joseph just as much as he needed to know and no more, and that still left a lot of questions. And when he awoke, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. Wow. Mary was a mover. Joseph was a mover. The shepherds were movers. When, in Luke 2.15, when they said, well... Let's go to Bethlehem, and let's see this thing that has happened. Wow. And sometime much later, the wise men from eastern countries had by some time seen the star, and they moved out of their comfort zone to go find this king of Christmas, this new king of the Jews. This was much, much later Uh, It was so much later that they really aren't part, as I said before, of the Christmas narrative. They're part of the early life of Jesus, but that's, that's fine. Here's my point. When God prompts you to do something, you need to do it. I, I, I don't know how else to say it. Mary got the message, and she moved on it. Joseph got the message, and he moved on it. The shepherds got the message, and they moved on it. Even those wise men from afar got the message later, and they moved on it. And when you and I get promptings from God, we need to do something about it. Now, it might mean... Salvation, it might mean, okay, I've heard this before, I know this is my need, I've never ever seriously on purpose one time in my life ever really relinquished the control of my life and asked Jesus Christ to come in and take control, but I know I need to do, maybe that is what you need to do if God's prompting you. For somebody else who's done that, it might mean full surrender. You know, I'm a Christian And at times I am surrendered, and at times I do the things or try to do the things that I believe 
are in obedience to God, but I'm not fully surrendered. I'm not totally committed. I haven't given over the control of every part of my life. He doesn't have every key on the key ring of my heart. Or maybe the Spirit wants you to be more involved serving others. Like, here, here's the type of question that, that, that I think really brings it down to where we live. Do you sense him asking you to do something? Even today, as I'm bringing this up again to you, do you sense God's urging you to do something? Are you a mover or are you a sitter? Are you willing to move? Don't procrastinate. When God prompts you to do something, you know you may be missing out this very Christmas season, if God's prompting you and you procrastinate, you could, be, you could be missing out on your part in a miracle that you have no idea is about to take place. You know, I'm struck by what Simeon told Mary. If you go down to verse 34 and 35 in Luke chapter 2, I've got to tell you, when he said these words, it must, it must have taken her breath away. And he said to Mary, then he, he blessed the child, and then he said to, to Mary, this child is destined. <laughs> Look at this. To, we know the history in the 2,000 years since this was said. <laughs> this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. How many of you heard the latest news about three days ago? that ISIS beheaded four little Jewish children. Oh, oh that's terrible. Oh, no. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Hmm. That's not really a joyful Christmas greeting, is it? But did you, did you know it was in Luke 2? We're always quoting Luke 2 for Christmas. Did you know that's what Simeon said to them? I mean, that must have... Mary must have been almost aghast. I mean, she must have just been breathless. Simeon is not saying, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Or what are we uh, supposed to say now in America? Happy Holidays. I never respond when people say that. I said, if you mean Merry Christmas, same to you. The only reason our rights are being taken away, Christian, is because we're letting them be taken away. And I'm tired of it. Well, we're not allowed to. Say it! Who's your God? Who do you work for? Who's your boss? So, well, you don't know what that... Yes, I do. If anybody in this room knows about political ramifications, I do. It's time to stand up. This isn't about... Your boss, it isn't about your corporation, it isn't about your company, it isn't about political correctness, away with that. It's not about you and it's not about me, it's all about him. That's why it's his party. 
And so Simeon said, I got something to tell you here. It wasn't Merry Christmas and Happy New Year or Happy Holidays or anything else. Rather, he pauses. He clears his throat. He tells her that Christmas will never be merry and the New Year will never be happy until people get moving and surrender their lives to this child, Jesus Christ. Here's the truth. Christmas splits people into two camps. Even Jesus himself said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring the sword. The, pe- the sword, not peace. There'll be no peace on earth until the Prince of Peace, who is Jesus, returns in glory with his own to set up his millennial kingdom. Then there will be peace on earth. Not until. He said, in the meantime, I'm a divider. There are people on one side of that and people on the other. Jesus had entered the world. He's divided the human race. He causes the falling and rising of many. Read the story of Israel and its history for 6,000 years. Because of who Jesus is and what he came to do, he forces people to make a decision about him, and the Bible uses very powerful imagery. I would say so. Jesus is either a rock that you build your life upon, that's the sense of rising, or he's a rock that you will stumble over, that's the meaning of falling. And on the cusp of this 15th Christmas of this millennium, Jesus is calling each of us to a moral decision. Jesus, and, and I'm glad some of you are going to celebrate uh, from, with family. Some of you are going to be traveling. Some of you are going to, listen, try to get this straight before you do any of that, that Jesus is calling you to a moral decision based on your willingness to move, your willingness to respond, and you are either going to rise or fall. And even though Jesus never forces himself on anyone, this fact remains. You cannot stay neutral about Jesus. You can't. You're either for him or against him. Romans, Paul said that in Romans. Those who aren't for him, aren't with us, are against us. You are moving closer to him this very moment as the words fall off my lips. You are now moving closer to him or you're moving farther away. There's no neutral gear. Every one of us, I'm not pointing fingers, we're either moving towards him and we're moving closer to him and we're becoming more intimate in our relationship with him and our fellowship with him or we're moving further away because maybe he's overstepped his boundaries a little bit and taken away some of my... Hmm, hmm, hmm. See, you either have the Son of God, who we celebrate, or you don't. So a marveler and a mover, it's great to be a marveler, but I hope by the prompting of the Holy Spirit, you'll move to be a mover. And then action step number three is become a messenger, a marveler, a mover, and a messenger. This is almost like three points in a poem, isn't it? Yeah. Interestingly, as we work at becoming marvelers, we can't help ourselves from becoming movers. (laughs) And that leads us to the final action from the passage, and that is to become a messenger. Again, would you notice verse 38, way down. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. I would dare say 
that a good lot of us that are in the room today have friends, we have family, relatives, whatever, who, who, who are really get caught up in the preparation for Christmas. And I'm not, I'm not saying that's bad. But look at it this way. Maybe the people who get all caught up in this, maybe their anticipation and longings, maybe, maybe they really represent an inner search for comfort and forgiveness. You see, those are the things that only the Messiah himself can bring. God wants each one of us to become messengers of the Christmas story. It's not my party, and it's not your party. And it's his party. Let me wrap this. As you and I become marvelers, the wonder of Christmas will astonish us. And if that hasn't kind of kicked in with you in recent years and hasn't yet this year, I'm going to challenge you to find the marvel of Christmas again. You may find it on your knees. You may find it in prayer. You may find it just getting quiet for a few moments in the hustle and bustle of the next 11 days, but I'm going to challenge you to find it. Then as we become movers, our needs for comfort and forgiveness will be met. Interesting, huh? We have to do something. And then as we take our role as messengers seriously, we'll be in a position to introduce to others or others to the Christ of Christmas, and it'll really become meaningful. So that they, in turn, can find what they have been waiting for. See, in a nutshell, friends, Christmas is a marvelous, moving message. How can we not find what we've been looking for? And how can we keep quiet about it? And once you have it, and once you have that experience with the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, you have everything. Many years ago, I don't know the exact date. I can't tell you. I do know this is, this is a story certainly worth repeating, and, and it goes back a lot of years. At the time, there was a very wealthy man who shared a passion for art collecting. And he shared that passion with his son. They had priceless works of art. Now listen, they even had pieces by Picasso and Van Gogh adorning the walls of their family estate. As winter approached, war engulfed the nation, and the young man left to serve his country. After a few short weeks, his father received a telegram. Your son has died in battle. Distraught and lonely, the old man faced the upcoming Christmas holidays with sadness, anguish, bitterness almost. The joy of the season had vanished with the death of the something. Some of us in this room have lost some people very dear to us in this past year. And you know, it, it really causes you to reflect. And on Christmas morning, a knock on the door awakened the depressed old man. And 
As he walked to the door, the masterpieces of art on the walls only reminded him that his son wasn't coming home. He wouldn't be there for Christmas, or any Christmas. When he opened the door, he was greeted by another soldier with a large package in his hands who said, I was a good friend of your son. I wanted to come visit with you. I was the one he was trying to rescue when he died. May I come in for a few moments? I have something to show you. The soldier mentioned that he was also kind of a budding artist, and he gave the old man a package, and the paper wrap gave way after a bit to reveal a portrait of the man's son. Though the world would never consider it a work of genius, of course, the, the, the painting featured the young man's face in striking detail. And it brought a subtle smile to the old man's face. Overcome with emotion, the man hung the portrait over the fireplace. Listen to this. Pushing aside millions of dollars worth of art. <laughs> his task completed. The old man sat in his chair and he spent Christmas gazing at the gift he'd been given. The painting of his son soon became his most prized possession, far eclipsing any interest in the Picasso or Van Gogh or other pieces of art for which museums around the world clamored. Well, in the following spring, late in that spring, the old man died. The art world waited with great anticipation. They waited for several months for the upcoming auction they knew would be held. And according to the will of the old man, all the artworks would be auctioned off on Christmas Day, the day he had received that great gift, his greatest gift. So the day arrived and art collectors from around the world gathered to bid on some of the world's most spectacular paintings. And some dreams were going to be really fulfilled that day and people were hoping not only could get, they get their hands on these certain pieces of art, but that they could do so at a somewhat reasonable rate. The auction began with a painting that was not on anyone's museum list. It was the painting of the man's son. And the, auction, the auctioneer asked for an opening bid, but the room was silent, nothing. Well, well, he said, getting a little anxious, who will open the bidding with $100? <laughs> no one spoke. Some people kind of snickered. And finally, someone said, who cares about that painting? It's just a picture of his son. Let's move on to the good stuff. The auctioneer responded, no, we have to sell this one first. Now, who will take the son? Finally, a neighbor of the old man offered him $10. That's all I have. He said, I knew the boy, so I kind of like to have it. The auctioneer said, going once, going twice, gone. And the gavel fell. Cheers filled the room. Someone's saying, now we can bid on the real treasures. The auctioneer looked out at that filled room, filled with people that really wanted to get some good art. And he announced that the auction was over. Everyone was stunned. Someone spoke up and said, what do you mean it's over? We didn't come here and travel half the way around the world for a painting of someone's son. There are million, millions of dollars of art hanging on those walls. What's going on? And the auctioneer said, it's very simple. According to the will of that father, whoever takes the son gets it all.
You may not ever remember that at the Christmas story, but I want you to remember it today, right now, this hour, this moment, this very moment in time. Listen to this very carefully. That puts things in perspective, doesn't it? My dear friends, please hear my heart this morning when I tell you the message is exactly the same this Christmas. Because of the Father's great love and grace, whoever takes the Son gets it all. Gets it all. One more question for you. Will you take him? Will you take him this Christmas? See, you're invited to a birthday party, but it's a different one. Yeah, it's the birthday of Jesus. We're celebrating that. It's his party. But he wants to give you a present. He wants to give you the gift of himself. Will you take him? Now, I'm going to issue a challenge to believe right now. Somebody's eternal destiny could be hanging in the balance right now. Someone's life could drastically change that quickly. I want to invite you to accept God's gift of eternal salvation and to turn in faith and believe in Jesus to forgive you, to save you, to give you the best Christmas and the very best Christmas gift that you will ever receive. And before I do that, I'm going to ask that we bow in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that you have some eternal business that you want to do. We're absolutely convinced of it. With all the distractions there have been in in and around this room this morning, there has to be something eternal waiting in the wings. And there has to be some great victory ready to be claimed. And we're claiming it now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a soul here who needs a Savior. There is a Christian here that needs reviving. There is someone here who's been sitting and needs to be moving. There are people here that need to marvel and move and become messengers to reach out to others for the cause of Christ. I don't know who they are. I don't know what they need. And if I did, I couldn't meet the need. But you can, Lord. And so we're looking to you right now. We're going to be quiet and let you work in our hearts. And I'm going to ask that you just pray quietly right now for a moment or two. And let me just say in love that if you're here today and have never accepted Christ, I'm going to ask you to just pray a prayer, something like this. Don't have to repeat these words, but just this. Lord, I know you love me. I know I have sin in my life. I want to take that gift, the gift of your son. I want to take Jesus as my Savior this moment. And I want that new life that you came to provide for us. 
and I accept Jesus, and I accept this as the greatest Christmas gift ever, and I thank you for it. Father God, we thank you for any that have prayed that prayer this morning. More than praying a prayer, have made that commitment and meant it sincerely in their heart. And we thank you for all that you're doing and going to do in this place as we continue to worship you. And we pray in Jesus' name because it's his party. Amen.